In Romans 8, we've got a new position. We are in Christ Jesus. We have new life. It's life in the Spirit. We have a new mindset. We don't think the way we used to think. We've got a whole new perspective on life. We've got a new hope. And it's a certain hope. We know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love Him. That alone is enough to just stop and say, what more do we need to know if we know that much? And we do. We've got uh, new help. We don't know how to pray as we ought to, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, he says in this chapter. And we've got new security. I mean, nothing and no one can separate us from him. Welcome to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Today, we continue in our study of the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings the first in a seven-part message titled, Life in the Spirit. We invite you to follow along with us now as we get started. Turn in your Bible to Romans chapter 8, the eighth chapter of Romans. You didn't bring a Bible. Let me encourage you to grab that uh, black hardback, the pew Bible there, and turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. The eighth chapter of Romans is... uh, the capstone to the systematic gospel that Romans lays out for us. And it, it is such a great chapter. I mean, I told you last time that uh, just, just looking at it, uh, you can see why it's a favorite of so many. And uh, I hope that you are spending some real time in it and, and letting the truth of Romans 8 uh, filter through your heart and your soul and your mind. Uh, it, I was, this morning, I woke up, uh, hour earlier, just like you did probably. I've been thinking, you know, there is so much here. And, uh, I think Romans 8 tempts preachers to wax eloquent, you know? Uh, it's easy to, yeah, I've heard a lot of different things said about it. I've heard, you know, the gospel described as, as a ring and Romans as the diamond, you know? And I heard one guy even say that Romans 8 was like the the glitter on the diamond, you know. I thought, well, okay. But I think when preachers wax eloquent, sometimes it kind of, it seems stretched or, or, you know, kind of artificial. But at the same time, it, it almost forces you to want to because you try to say, how could he say so much in such a short space? And how do we miss it? I mean, we ought to spend time in it. I'd encourage you to memorize the chapter, abide in it, mull it over, think on the great truths here. And uh, I was thinking, how do you, how do you unpack it? I, and I kind of feel like a trailer going down the road, just bumping treasures off here and there and dumping coins everywhere, you know, and just hope, and you say, package that better. And I don't feel like I can. There is so much. But, you know, the verse that comes to my mind, just thinking about the chapter itself, is Second uh, Corinthians 5 where he says, you know, if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And in Romans 8, we've got a new position. We are in Christ Jesus. We have new life. It's life in the Spirit. We have a new mindset We don't think the way we used to think. We've got a whole new perspective on life. We've got a new hope, and it's a certain hope. We've got a new relationship to God. Instead of being at enmity with God, 
we can say, Abba, Father, to Him. We've got new knowledge. I mean, you think about it. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love Him. That alone is enough to just stop and say, what more do we need to know if we know that much? And we do. We've got uh, new help. We don't know how to pray as we ought to, but the Holy Spirit intercedes for us, he says in this chapter. And we've got new security. I mean, nothing and no one can separate us from him. God is for us. Who's against us? I used to put that on my desk just in one little phrase, just right there every time I'd look up on the shelf of my desk in front of me, that's what I'd see. If God is for us, who is against us? And it's such a great question to ask. And, of course, uh, the answer is nobody or nothing of any consequence. Uh, you, can, you can break Romans 8 down so many different ways. I heard one fellow, and if you're kind of into prepositions, you might think of it this way. Christ is around us, the Spirit is in us, and God is for us. And it's maybe a little strange because Christ around us, well, we're in Christ. We're in Christ and the Spirit is in us, and God is for us. And He has brought everything to bear for us on our behalf. It is rich as unsearchable. And I, I think of that uh, doxology that Paul burst into at the end of Romans 11. You know, when he gets done, really, with expounding everything he has to say in Romans, he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has become His counselor? Or who has first given to Him that it might be given back to Him again? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things to Him be the glory forever. Amen. And Paul had in his mind, he didn't get it all in, but I mean, he was overflowing when he said that, with all of Romans, but it certainly fits when you just think of Romans 8. So I hope that you will really give yourself to this chapter, and my comments on it are going to be inadequate, uh, very inadequate. Uh, I know, though, that I can give you some treasure because I can just bump it off the side of the trailer, you know. And you might say, go back, get that. But there's so much here, you can just kind of grab it wherever you go in chapter 8. So let's look at it. And, you know, chapters 6 through 8 go together, and they address the question of how a Christian should live. We are saved by grace. Does that salvation by grace lead to a sloppy, kind of lackadaisical Christian life? Or does it lead to a transformed life? And of course, the answer is the latter. Saved by grace, by what God did for us, nothing we could do for Him. God did it all. We are to live lives that bring glory and honor to Him, and He has equipped us to do just that. Sin no longer is master over us, chapter 6. We're not under law, we're under grace. And He expands that and expounds on that in the end of chapter 6 and through chapter 7. And then He gets to the power source of the Christian life and gives us this great chapter that is oftentimes called the chapter of the Spirit. And as I look at my... Uh, my sermon title, I think I saw it. Didn't I put part one? That's the only part I got right. <laughs> I know that. But uh, anyway, you know, we're not going to get through verse 13, but we'll, maybe we'll kind of get there, and then we'll go back and look at it again. But, but I do want to talk about life in the Spirit. 
life in the Spirit. But I could just as well say, and I don't want you to miss this, life in Christ Jesus. They are synonymous. Notice verse 1, and we'll just look at what we looked at briefly last week. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Our new position, we are in Christ Jesus. This life in the Spirit is life in Christ Jesus. It's for every Christian. Every one of us have life. If we have life here today, it's because we have life in Christ. It's because we have life through His Holy Spirit. It's the only source of life there is. Victorious Christian living in the power of Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. There's not only no condemnation, and we talked about that at length last time, but there is no bondage now. We've been set free. And I had you read verse 2, and I'll read it again. Notice, turn it around just a bit. There's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. For In Christ Jesus, the the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and of death. You see how he repeats the phrase, in Christ, in verse 1 and verse 2. And then his new emphasis is is the law of the spirit of life is what sets us free from the law of sin and of death. We've been set free. You say, how? Well, verse 3 and 4. Verse 3, through the death of his son... And verse 4, through the life of His Spirit. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, there's no problem with the law, but our flesh was plenty weak. So the law was holy and righteous and good, He said in chapter 7, but our flesh is weak. What the law could never do, God did. Sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. The death of His Son brought life justification, and lays the foundation for the Christian life, sanctification. And then verse 4, in order that the requirement of the law, holy lifestyles, that's what the law called for, in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. You see, don't miss that verse 4. God is calling for a holy lifestyle from His children. You shall be holy for I am holy. That's the whole tone of the Bible. We don't have any ability in and of ourselves to provide that or to perform, if you will. But He calls for it. And then He gave His Son to die for us. And He gave His Spirit to live in us in order that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit, let me just underline it, is the power source for Christian living. I can't do anything on my own, and you can't either. You say, well, I've been a Christian quite a while now. I've built myself up. I've matured. I've grown. You still are absolutely powerless in and of yourself. And you remember in chapter 7, Paul learned there was no good in his flesh and there was no power in his new man. And so the Christian that tries to go it alone 
will quickly find himself in that turmoil of saying, I'd like to do what's right, but I end up doing what's wrong. There's no, what's wrong with me? I seem to be in bondage. Who will set me free from that? Christ Jesus will, that's who. And so chapter seven or chapter 8 is uniquely the chapter of the Spirit. I say the Holy Spirit is the power source for the Christian life, and yet, have you noticed that so far in Romans, we haven't heard anything about Him? I'm, it's amazing to think of the great truth that we've covered in Romans, and yet He's only been mentioned in chapter 5, verse 5, just momentarily, and chapter 7, verse 6. And now, both of those were, if you stopped and pondered them, particularly with you know, your Bible in your hand so you can look ahead to chapter 8, you see plenty of truth. But he hasn't really unfolded it yet. He just mentioned the Holy Spirit. And he just uh, commented in a tremendous statement, verse 6 of chapter 7. Look back at that. We've been released from the law, having died to that by which we are bound, so that we serve in newness of the Spirit and not in oldness of the letter. But now... You get to chapter 8, and 17 times he mentions the Holy Spirit. And he gives us all this great truth regarding the Holy Spirit. You can easily call this the chapter of the Spirit, if you like. And He's the Spirit of life in the first 13 verses. He's the Spirit of adoption in verses 14 through 17. He's the Spirit of glory in verses 18 through 25, and he's the spirit of intercession, verses 26 and 27. And you could look at the chapter that way. Uh, before I get right into the details of verses 5 through 8, let me uh, just suggest another way, another way to kind of broadly picture what he's saying. And you'll see that there's many different ways to say it, but the Holy Spirit in relation to the flesh, he subdues it, okay? Verses 5 through 13. The Holy Spirit in relationship to our sonship, He bears witness to it. How do I know I'm a child of God? The Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am. And we'll talk about that. How does He do that? Well, we'll get to it. Uh, and chapter 8 gets to it. Read ahead if you like. I mean, you know, think about it. But He bears witness to our sonship. The Holy Spirit in relationship to our inheritance, He guarantees it. Verses 18 through, I'd say, probably 25, but look there at verse 23. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. Three times the New Testament uses this phrase, pledge or earnest money, down payment. Only three times, and every time it refers to the Holy Spirit who is given. We have the first fruits of our inheritance. Our inheritance is guaranteed by the indwelling Holy Spirit. If you want the references for that, it's First Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 1, 22, 5, 5, and Ephesians 1, 13. The three times that he refers to the Holy Spirit as the pledge or the earnest money of what he's going to continue to do and complete when he gets us home. So our inheritance is secure, and we've got the Holy Spirit to guarantee it. And then, of course, in relationship to our prayer life, who, who has a, who's been a Christian any length of time and hasn't felt verse 26? We... we we don't know how to pray as we should. Anybody here got their prayer life together? <laughs> we don't know how to pray. When you come to prayer, it's kind of like when I'd come to try to preach Romans 8. I think, how could I ever better? I mean, how could you say anything but just read the chapter? We don't know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit himself bears witness 
within our spirit, and He intercedes with groanings too deep for words, and He takes our prayers and takes them right to the Father. It's a tremendous thought to enjoy in relationship to our prayer life. He helps it in its weakness. Okay, now let's look at uh, verse 5 and following. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mindset on the flesh is death, but the mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. However, you're not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you, but if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, he doesn't belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the Spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who indwells you. So then, brethren... We're under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you're living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you're putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, let me just uh, point out here that there are several couplets that we don't want to miss. Look at verse 5, and uh, notice there are two categories of people, those who are according to the flesh and those who are according to the Spirit. There are unbelievers and there are believers. Uh, there's the natural man, if you want to think in terms of 1 Corinthians, the way Paul speaks of it over there. There's the natural man, the way we were born by nature, and there's the spiritual man, the way we are born again by His Holy Spirit. If you were thinking in terms of John and the way John puts it in his writings, you've got the regenerate and the unregenerate, those who've been born and have life and those who haven't yet been born again and have not life but death. So you have the lost and the saved. You have the sheep and the goats. You have the tares and the wheat. All the way through Scripture, you see this. And I don't want you to miss these couplets here. You have those who are according to the flesh, verse 5, and those who are according to the Spirit. So there's two categories of people. There's two mindsets. Notice, the mindset on the flesh, verse 6, is death. The mindset on the Spirit is life and peace. There's two patterns of conduct. Those who walk according to the flesh, and those who walk according to the Spirit. Walk being the characteristic term in the New Testament of lifestyle. How we daily take step at a time through life. How we live, our lifestyle. You walk according to the flesh, according to the Spirit. Two lifestyles or two patterns of conduct, and then two spiritual states, death and life. Now, I want to go back and mull that over a bit, and particularly I want to emphasize the second one of those couplets. Now you can, you can hear and you can see them right there on the surface, those who are according to the flesh, those who are according to the Spirit. But look at that second couplet, the two mindsets. Look at verse 6. 
the two mindsets. The mindset on the flesh or the mindset of the flesh perhaps would be a better rendering because that's what it is really. And the mindset of the spirit. Those are the two mindsets that he's speaking of. And mindset is a great translation of it, but uh, it's not the it's not the full orb thought here. It, it the word has to do with our mind, but not just just not just our intellect, but the the attitude, our judgment on things, our views on things, the way uh, we think, the way we prioritize, what we care about, even. And so there's two kinds of mindsets. There's the mindset of the flesh, the lost, and the mindset of the spirit, the saved. And I want us to think on, in fact, uh, it's a good, good thing to just see the whole picture of the New Testament on this because this is crucial. You see, Christianity, living the Christian life, living in the spirit. Oh, we hear so much about it today, but a lot of people divorce it from the mind and they think of, you know, I think it's even our English term spirit. They just think it must be just emotion and mood. And so they think in terms of the Holy Spirit as just a mood in the room. or, or And they think of any kind of intellectual exercise or really thinking about things as kind of getting in the way of the Spirit guiding you. So you just kind of get your mind vacant. Nothing could be further from the truth. Yet a lot of Christians think that... To get guidance from God, to walk in the Spirit, to hear from the Spirit is just to kind of vacate your mind and get a vacuum going so you can hear His voice. And that leads to a lot of nonsense in people's thinking and a lot of unbiblical thinking. So the mindset of the Spirit, we want to think about this, and I want you to see how the New Testament uses it. This term itself, there's a verb and a noun, verb... uh, Verbal form and the noun form are identical. They're just depending on the context, really. But uh, he uses it 26 times in the New Testament, and 10 of them are found in Philippians. And sometimes it's good to go there. In fact, I'd like you to just turn over there. And let me, it's interesting. Paul really used this term a lot in Philippians, and it gives us a handle on what, what we're talking about when we say the mindset. And uh, as it's translated, the mindset... It's a good translation. You know, we use that term, what's, what's the Christian mindset? Or what's the, uh, you know, what's a big league mindset? When somebody gets to the big leagues, they, they should develop a big league mindset. Or all the time we use it, uh, we want to create a certain kind of mindset in this business. Uh, what kind of mindset do you have, you know, when you're being interviewed for a job or whatever? We use the term all the time. So I think we've got a good handle in our English but it's good to see the other ways that it can be translated. And a very familiar text, Philippians 2, verse 5, have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, is the same term. Have the same attitude that Christ had. Have the same mindset. been listening to Downtown Bible Class with Pastor Scott Gilchrist. Please stay with us. Pastor Scott will return in just a moment with a preview of our next broadcast. Today's program was titled Life in the Spirit, a message from our series in the Book of Romans. If you missed a portion of the message heard on the program today, or you'd like to share it with a friend, head on over to downtownbible.org. A free copy of today's entire message is available there for you to stream or download at your convenience. 
We're thrilled to announce the publication of a new book written by Pastor Scott Gilchrist. It's called A Brief Exposition of Romans. It's a 266-page chapter-by-chapter commentary on Romans that we're sure will enhance your understanding of this critical book in the New Testament. The book is available online at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and most other online booksellers. But during our study of Romans, we'd like to send you a copy as a thank you for a gift of any amount to the Ministry of Downtown Bible. You can find us online at downtownbible.org or by mail at P.O. Box 19191, Portland, Oregon, 97280. We'd love to put this valuable resource in your hands. We're thankful that you've chosen to listen to us on this station. And we invite you to downtownbible.org to download or listen to any past program or to subscribe to our daily podcast. Now, before we end our time today, let's go to Pastor Scott for a preview of our next broadcast. The mindset of the flesh, the unbeliever deliberately, notice you set your mind on things. He deliberately thinks about things of this earth, of flesh. He gives attention to that which belongs to life apart from God. He'll get uncomfortable when you bring God up. He doesn't want to hear about it. It kind of gets in the way. His mindset is on the flesh. Then, on the contrary, the mindset on the spirit. The mindset on the spirit is concerned about the things that God's concerned about. The Christian attitude is to be caring about that which God cares about, to be thinking on that which God thinks on. His Word, His Son, His grace, His goodness. And so the Christian instinctively delights in the things that God delights in. Join us again next time as we continue our series through the book of Romans. Pastor Scott brings part two of the message titled, Life in the Spirit. Until then, may the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you.